people in the booth. Uh, We can't do what we do without you, and we thank you so much uh, each and every week, multiple times a week, uh, for your sacrificing to come and to to keep this going. God's faithful, and uh, through it all, he's faithful. Uh, Even though things haven't turned out the way we um, would like, But you know what? He's in control, and his ways are never our ways, but his ways are always right. And I rejoice each and every time we have the opportunity to share the gospel. I don't care if it's by way of Internet, uh, standing outside, going to Walmart or Lowe's where we're allowed to go. Uh, It's an... uh, Everywhere we go, we have the opportunity to share the gospel. So don't let the enemy uh, convince you that uh, the, the mouths of, of the Christians have been closed. Open them. If you're fussing about, oh, well, we can't have church, be the church. <laughs> Open your mouth. Share the word everywhere you go. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to spread like wildfire. That's what happens. Uh, when man thinks they can control, God steps in, and he always makes a way. And so uh, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to what's to come. Uh, we don't know, uh, but we know the Lord knows, and we are actively, uh, consistently uh, pursuing his face, seeking his face uh, in his mind concerning um, what's the next step that we take. And uh, that's, that's, how we're, that's how we're going we're taking one day at a time, and, uh, and I'm just thankful to have the opportunity to be here tonight. Uh, I hope you have your word, and uh, if you do, go ahead and open it. We're still in Mark chapter 9. Uh, tonight, we're going to cover verses 33 through 41, and, uh, and then it'll probably take us one more time uh, to get through with chapter 9. I'm not making any promises, but that's how I feel right now. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and start reading Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 41. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace. For by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all, and servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them, and when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name, receives me. And whosoever shall receive me, receives not me, but him who sent me. And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in your name, and he follows not us. And we forbade him, because he followed not us. But Jesus forbid him not. For there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name, that can lightly speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, verily verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. 
Jesus and the disciples, as we just read, uh, now arrive in Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, and they proceeded to uh, the home of Simon Peter. And this will be uh, his last visit here. Um, as he's done so uh, previously, he then begins to teach the twelve. He calls them together and begins to teach them in spite of what he's taught them about self-denial, dying to self, and losing their lives for Christ and the gospel. They still are striving to be um, sovereign, not servants. That's what we see being played out here. They remain deaf to what he has said about the road to true greatness, what that looks like, what that requires. They still don't understand what it truly means to follow Jesus. Obeying God and serving others out of an overflow of the gospel has still not sunk in. You see, this always happens when pride creeps in, and pride, I believe, prohibits overflow. Because pride, if you will get this visual, this is how I uh, visualize it, is like a dry sponge. And so anything that comes in is just soaked up by that sponge alone. And it's, it's here, it's mine. Look how great I am. Look how uh, lofty I am. Look how much knowledge I have of the word. But there's nothing overflowing. There's nothing to give because pride is always look at me, not anything else. That's a prideful heart. Uh, missionary David Brainerd, uh, who in many ways inspired the modern missionary movement, once said, it is sweet to be nothing and less than nothing that Christ may be all in all. And I love that. And that has to be our heart church. That has to be the heart of a believer. If we are going to become uh, servants of Christ, true servants of Christ, we must overcome the desires of pride. You have to overcome the desires of pride. We're told in verse 33, if you want to uh, go back to verse 33 of Mark 9, it says, um, he's asking them right there, he's confronting uh, what was it that you disputed among yourselves, by the way? What were you talking about? And this question concerns something very serious, something that could potentially wreck them if not addressed uh, properly. And I want you to realize that any and all issues that we have in our lives, if they're not addressed properly and by properly, I mean by the word of God, it will lead to destruction. And here it's pride. The Lord knew he had to address this prideful heart that had crept in. Even in the 12 that were the closest to him, pride had, had crept in. Uh, verse 34 says, at first they were silent. I'm sure they were embarrassed. Uh, they should have realized that the Lord already knew what it was. He always knows. He always knows what's going on in our hearts. We can't hide anything from the Lord. Um, and at times that's comforting. And at other times in our lives that can be scary when we think, oh, Lord, <laughs> you know that. 
you know that bitterness or you know that anger, you know that rage even, that malice that I'm holding in my heart. But the good news is he knows it, but he knows how to get to rid us of it, uh, to, to get it out of us if we will just confess it. That's why he openly asked them the question. Even though he already knew, he wanted them to realize what was in their hearts. And a lot of times we don't know till we come face to face with it. And sometimes we hear ourselves, a lot of times this happens when you have children. So you new parents about to have babies, you have to be careful what you say around kids. Because sometimes that comes right back out and you think, where did you hear that? Well, that's what you said, Mom. And you think, oh, gosh, that sounds horrible. Lord, let me never say that again. But a lot of times that's what happens. We have to hear what comes out of our own mouths before we realize, I've got a problem. There's a, a real issue here. So the Lord asked them. He wanted them to confess it. He wanted them to say it. So finally, they admit that they had argued or debated with one another about who was the greatest. And, and that sounds so petty, right? It sounds like I can't believe they were arguing over that, but it happens every day in the church. Uh, I'm sure that Peter, James, and John played a part in this contention uh, for the simple fact, and I, I know you remember, you can recall, uh, because Jesus had chosen them over the others on at least two other occasions to do things with, with Jesus by themselves. And so, you know, well, who do they think they are? Do they think they're somebody because Jesus let them go up on the mountain uh, with them and, and not me? I'm sure those were real things that were going over uh, in their minds, and I've said it over and over, uh, and we, we see proof of it again that the entirety of their thinking was continually wrong concerning what Jesus came to do. Again, they knew he was the Messiah. There was no doubt. They knew he, he, he was the Messiah. Their contention was right, but their date was wrong. Again, they thought that he had come to set up kingdom on earth right then, right there. But that's still yet to come. That's why we say over and over again, the best is yet to come because he's coming back. It hasn't happened yet. But he's coming back for his church, and he's given us time. He's given us examples. He's showing us the way for us to rid ourselves of those prideful hearts, to rid ourselves of those things that can very easily creep in and then begin to separate us from the will of the Lord that he has for each and every one of our lives. You see, matters of rank and recognition were very important to the Jews of Jesus' day just like they are to most of us in our day. People like to have a title. They like to have a, a prominent position. They like to have a place. They like for people to know who they are. The nature of man and the times have not changed very much. Pride and that cult of personality have always been alive and well, even among people of God who follow after the lowly Jesus. Even though we see him, we read of him, we know the two things that he said of himself, meek and lowly in heart. And yet, pride creeps in. It always does. The enemy is subtle. He knows how to do that. That's why we must die to self daily. 
That word daily is key. That means don't let a day go by. Daily we must acknowledge, Lord, I am nothing without you. I can't make it without you. The only reason I am where I am is all because of you. It's not because of me, nothing I've done. That's it. Proverbs 11 and 2 says, When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. Then James 4, 6 goes on to say, But he gives more grace. Wherefore says God, resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We've got to remain humble. We've got to remain where the Lord has called us over and over again. The Holy Spirit portrays humility as the example of, and there was no better example of humility than Jesus Christ dying on Calvary's cross, knowing that he had all authority and all power to come down, to not stay there. But yet that humility, that love for the world, that love for all of mankind, it kept him there. There's no greater example of, of humility than Jesus on Calvary's cross. Go on to verse uh, 35 of chapter 9. It says, And he sat down and called the twelve and said unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. I love the part right there in the beginning. It says, And he sat down. Meaning, he was say, what he was saying to them was of extreme importance. And he got down on their level again illustrations of children and we see this as we go on is perfect because a lot of times when you really want your child to understand exactly what you are saying what do you do you get down to where you're face to face and see a lot of times Christians like to stand up and be high over right but that's not Jesus that's not his way that's not his nature. His nature is always to come to man, to come down to where we are. He left heaven, folks, to come to where we are, to save us, to redeem us. He could have stayed there, but he came to us. See, a lot of times we get high-minded and we think, oh, you're under me, right? when really we should just be going up to people and sitting down beside them, putting our arm around them, saying, we're in this together. We are in this together. We have to do that. I have to do that with my kids. I hope that I've done that with y'all. If there's ever a time where you see me climbing up, just say, get down. Get down from there. You have no business being up there, right? We should. We should. We've got to remain humble. Jesus was our example of humility. So it says he sat down. He got down on their level. He got down to business. Uh, you see, with a heart of pride comes a desire, again, for position. That is inevitable. Uh, we know that. But Jesus, in his grace and tenderness, he doesn't reprimand them for their desire to be first. No, he doesn't do that. He calls them together, and he tells the 12 his way. He says, if you want to be first, that's great, but I'm going to tell you how to be first. 
Now I want you to listen, right? Be sure you got your ears turned on. If you want to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Wow, right? Wow. See, this is the complete opposite as to the way that the world thinks and operates. See, the world always says, well, you better look out for number one. I'm looking out for number one, right? That's what the world says. But what Jesus said was the most revolutionary concept ever heard by man concerning greatness. You want to be first, be last, and then be a servant to all. That's what he says. See, it's uh, critically important for us to see that Jesus does not, again, downplay greatness. He simply redefines it. He tells us what greatness truly is. It's not running out ahead of everybody. Hey, look at me. I'm the champion. I'm the greatest. I'm number one, right? No, it's being willing to, to turn around and run back. Even let others pass you by so you can help that one that's struggling. We've all been there. We've all had times in our lives where we kind of just, we lost our way. And I'm so thankful that he didn't just keep running ahead, but he turned around and he came back for me. He picked me up. He dusted me off. That's the beautiful picture that the word tells us of leaving the 99 and going after the one. It's not about who finishes first. It's that we finish. That we finish the race. That's the example of humility. That's the example that Jesus tells us. So he, again, he doesn't downplay greatness. He simply redefines it. And tells us what true greatness look, looks like. Jesus says you will only find real and lasting happiness and joy when you serve someone. Not because you have to, but because you get to and you want to. See, that's when you realize you're a true servant of the Lord. Not, gosh, I've got to go do this for so and so. No, it's thank you, Lord, for allowing me to go do this for allowing me for this brief moment in time to be your hands and feet, to be your voice, right? See, we've got to check ourselves. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to check us. What's our motive? Oh, I've got to go do this. Don't do it. If, if that enters your mind, don't do it. Say, Lord, change my heart. Change my heart. Uh, Years ago, we watched a video, and it was talking about a woman that has to beg for flowers or something like that. I can't remember. If I have to beg for my husband to go buy me flowers, don't go buy me flowers, because I'm going to hit you over the head with them when you bring them to me, right? Because you want to, because you get to. That should be our desire in serving the Lord. In serving the Lord, we serve those around us. That's what we do. That's being a true servant of the Lord. See, this statement places Christianity so far ahead of all other religions of the world that there's no comparison. Be last, right? I mean, you think of uh, Islam, all the great things that are promised to, to those uh, 
I don't even know, of so, of men who make it, they have a hundred virgins waiting on them in heaven. It's all about self, gratification. No, Jesus says deny self, die to self, be last, then you shall be first. You see, the only position that a true born-again believer should be seeking is to remain at his feet. Just to remain at his feet. And one of my new favorite songs says, this will be my posture, laying at your feet. Oh, just to dwell, dwell, dwell here forever. Right? See, when we're happy just to be at his feet, it doesn't matter what we have to do. That's keeping that uh, lowly, humble heart, that humble spirit. Lord, wherever you lead me, I'm just following your feet, Lord. And wherever you lead, I'll follow. It doesn't matter. Uh, we were having a conversation today about on the back, back on the, the deck and talking about how so many come into the church. Oh, I'm here for you. I want to be a, uh, uh, the Lord sent me here to help you. What can I do? Automatically thinking, oh, well, can you get up here and preach? No. The greatest thing you can do, just show up. Just be committed. Thank you. Just show up. Just tune in these days. Just share. That's the greatest thing that we can do. And then anything else is just a bonus. And if we're a true believer, that's enough. Why? Because that's where he has us for that time. And we're content and we're satisfied in him. We're not looking for a position, a title to satisfy us, to fulfill us. Because that never will. Because there's always going to be somebody with a higher title than you. Again, it goes back to the title of this three or four or twelve part series. He alone is the greatest. Not any one of us. He's the greatest. And the best place, the best position that you and I can find ourselves is at his feet. That's it. That's not on the biggest platform that you can imagine. It's at his feet. And that's where we should desire to stay. Jesus then, well, I'm not going to get ahead of myself. I do that all the time. I made a post uh, last year that read, the beginning of greatness is to be little. The increase of greatness is to be less, and the perfection of greatness is to be nothing. Right? Do it, Lord. Take it all. As I said in the beginning, I can't, you can help. I'm last, Lord. Let me be last, Lord. See, we have to guard that because we can even become prideful in being last. Oh, go ahead, I'm going to be last because I'm a saint. And you're not. And then sometimes we even get in fights of who's going to be last. No, I'm last because I'm more holier than you. I, I've been there. I've found myself. We fall into these traps. We have dinners. We have meals in the back. And they always say, Summer, you're last. Why are you always the last one to eat? And I'm, and, oh, because I just want to help everybody else eat. I want to fix everybody else's plate. And, and that's good and well. I, I'm not, but so, that very easily can become prideful. I'm just being open and honest with you guys tonight. 
So when we all get back together and you see me running to the front of the line, I'm done being last in that respect. No, I'm kidding. I still will. But we, I'm just saying that so that you understand that even in our striving to be last, pride can creep in. That's why we've got to guard our heart with all diligence. We have to uh, continue, Lord, search my heart, search my motives, Lord, because he knows our hearts. So now we're looking at verses 36 and 37. What does it mean to be a servant of all? Verses 36 and 37 says, And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receives me, and whosoever shall receive me receive not me, but him that sent me. Right there, taking of a child and putting him in the midst of them. But I love it because it doesn't stop there. But he picks the child up and he puts him in his arms, and really that's showing um, an embrace, embracing of the child, exactly what the Lord does to each and every one of us when we come to him. He embraces us. He holds us close. But that would have been very, and, and to us sometimes when we read the scripture, it's like, okay, he used a child. But in those days, that would have been very unusual for a child to be brought in to the scene, brought uh, into the conversation, because back then, believe it or not, the adults' worlds did not live or revolve around their children like they do today. That didn't happen. No value was placed on the youth in that time. So a little child was an excellent example of the last or the least. I even um, remember my mom, she would say from time to time and still does, when she was little, children were only seen, not heard. A child would never walk into uh, a room of adults and start talking. You would be getting in big trouble. If you did that, nowadays, in most households, children run the conversations. And I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm, I, I know there's good and bad to each things of those, but understand the shock factor that took place when Jesus brought a child in in the midst of these holy men. How dare you bring, I mean, it's almost like a dog. How dare you bring them in, right? That's kind of their mindset. So that's why he did that. A little child, again, was the excellent example of the last or the least. So if we can uh, wrap our minds around that uh, as the great example, uh, I want you to also think that it's because a child is totally dependent on someone else. That's why the Lord chose a child. Totally dependent on someone else. I've told you this before several times. When I had Noah, my first child, over 20 years ago, good Lord, I'm old, I remember crying, getting so upset when I started feeding him food because he just sat there and, and opened his mouth. And the thought came through my mind, I could be feeding him poison. I, I didn't, but I could have. And he would have just opened his little mouth and ate it. That's how dependent children are. Babies are. They'll just take what you give them. Now, I was giving him mashed potatoes and green beans. <laughs> Good stuff. But that's another example of why the Lord used a child totally dependent. As children of God, we've got to totally depend on him 
for everything that we have need of. We have to depend on him. A child is trustful. A child believes. A child doesn't hold grudges like adults do. A child is quick to forgive. We adults have a lot to learn from children. I've heard our kids in children's ministry as they do their devotions each and every day. They believe the word of God. They believe when they lay hands on the sick, they're going to be healed. They believe that. Why? Because they're, they trust. Children trust. Like we should trust the Lord. Great example. That's exactly why the Lord did that. So again, Jesus startles the disciples by saying, receive one like this on my behalf in my name and you receive me. And then again, it gets better because you don't just receive him, you receive the Father, the one who sent me. That's what the word says. We are to treat those who have no standing in this world. Children, lepers, uh, people with AIDS, uh, those that are disabled, those that are mentally impaired, um, the older generation. If we need to treat those people right, well, receive them, right? It says, and you will receive an audience with my father. You know those people who are only nice to somebody who can do something for them? You know, if they get word that somebody's coming, visiting the church that has a lot of money, oh, come on in, sit up on the front row with us. Really, all they want is their money. Right? But let somebody walk in off the street that's dirty and maybe don't smell good. Keep them in the back, please. Don't let, it, don't let them get around anybody. See, no, 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 that's not going to get you an audience with the Father. That does not please the Lord. He is not pleased when we're just nice to people that are nice to us. He's not pleased with that. We're supposed to be nice to people who hate us, who aren't like us. That's the Father's heart. Yesterday when we were, was that, yeah, yesterday when we were in Raleigh, we were with people from all walks of life. Now some people go, oh, I'm not going to, associate with them. I'm not going to stand next to them. That's not the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is to love. He, while we yet were sinners, Christ died for us. So what gives us the right to just count somebody out because they look different? And again, I'm getting ahead of myself because that's how this story ends. So if we are to treat those well who have no standing in this world, that's being a servant. That's being first in the Lord's sight. You've got to wrap your mind around this. Jesus points the way to true greatness. Die to self. Serve others. Care for those who no one else cares for. Receive them in my name, and you receive me, and you'll receive the Father too. So basically the way up is down. The way to get is give. The way to be first is to be last. This is the way of Jesus, and this is the way to true greatness. And this just doesn't make sense to the world. I want to encourage you tonight, don't miss who the Lord has sent your way. Don't fail to receive the one who he has sent by Christ because of a grudge or unforgiveness, because it doesn't look like what you thought it would look like 
or who it would look like. If you do, you're the one missing out on what the Lord has for you. Because so many times we, we get an image in our mind and we think this is how it's going to be. This is how the Lord's going to move. This is how he's going to impact my life. When really all the while it was a homeless person who would speak a word into our life, but we wouldn't give them the time of day. We can miss it because of pride, because of a prideful heart. Pride blinds us to the ways of the Lord. We've got to get rid of that. We've got to get rid of the Lord because all of those attitudes will lead to our own destruction. That's what happens. It's destroying us. We're the ones who lose. The last verse is verses 38 through 41. Uh, A.T. Pearson said, The ideal missionary must have four passions. Number one, a passion for truth. Number two, a passion for Christ. Number three, a passion for the souls of men. And number four, a passion for self-sacrificing, meaning not my will, but yours be done, Lord. Lord, each and every day, don't let me wake up with my own agenda, my own plan, but Lord, you have your way in my life today. At this point, the disciples, like most modern Christians, just aren't there. They're zealous, but a lot of times their zeal is placed in the wrong places. And in fact, it can be downright sinful. And this is what we see taking place when John speaks up. And the word for this is sectarianism. Uh, meaning you have to belong to us. You have to be a part of our group. You have to meet all of our rules and regulations before we will recognize you. And if you don't meet our requirements, then we will do everything in our power to stop you, right? Because we read in verses 38 through 41, John starts voicing his opinion saying, well, there was a man casting out devils in your name, Lord, but we stopped him. We wouldn't let him come along with us because he's not a part of us, right? You know, uh, in church, we get that mentality of four and no more, or in this case, 12 and no more. Uh, We're happy with our little group, and we don't need anybody else. That is sinful. That is a sinful mindset. That is a wrong heart toward the things of God. We're going to miss it if we do that. The disciples, again, and in particular John, were about to learn that God's kingdom is bigger than their experience of it. It's so large that Jesus goes on to say that anyone who is for Christ, truly for Christ, is with us. So get over it. See, a lot of times, especially message of the cross, preachers of the cross, uh, preachers, They take on that mindset. They take on that mentality when that is not the message of the cross. And the message of the cross is simply the word of God, the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation. And they're quick to cut people down and write them off just because they don't say the right words. They don't say the right phrases. Maybe they don't preach from the right books constantly. If you're preaching from this book, you're preaching from the right book no matter where it falls in between. If you're preaching the anointed word of God, you're with us. We're on the same team. We've got to stop killing each other. We've got to do what Jesus did. We've got to love and we've got to sit down and, and teach each other in this. Because guess what? 
We didn't all automatically know it. Somebody taught us. So we then in turn turn around and teach others. That's how the gospel multiplies. That's, that's how this thing happens. So again, Jesus says the one who was not against Christ is for Christ. John's voice, again, he voices his concerns about the man that they came across casting out demons. And I think the reason why it upset him so much is because they just failed to cast out the demon in uh, the beginning of the chapter. I think it was verse 18. But this man was doing it in Jesus' name. And apparently they didn't know him, and they didn't want him to be a part of their group, right? Um, their in-group, their religious denomination, and so they tried to stop him because he, they said he wasn't following us. You hear the problem? Us. Us. you got to be a part of us. Nope. you just got to be a part of the family of God. <laughs> Believe that Jesus came, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, and he's coming back for us. That's where our unity is in Christ. Now, there are things that we are all going to disagree on. We're going to vary on. But if we begin to fight against one another, that displeases the heart of the Lord. It does. It truly does. Now, we're all learning. We're all growing in this. But we've got to be patient with people. Thank the Lord he's patient with me. He's patient with you, right? So that's what that's talking about. I want you to hear me tonight. If the miracle is performed by the use of the name of Jesus, this automatically places the seal of legitimacy on the act, and the man, for that matter. He did this in Jesus' name. My commentary says there was at least some relationship with Christ, or else such power would not be possible. So he's saying, so to per forbid him is to forbid Christ, and no one desires to do that. Brother Larson says a little wildfire is better than no fire. Right? So things might seem a little, ooh, that's better than, ugh. Right? Oh, that might be a little too wild for me. Well, I'd rather it be wild than dead. I'd rather have a little fire than no fire. Right? Because that's a heart that's desiring more of him. More of the Lord. And yes, there is time for correction. But we do it with the word. We do it in love. We do it with gentleness. That's how the Lord corrects us. Lastly, uh, again, he says, don't hinder him, help him. Don't try and uh, restrain him. Actually rejoice with him. We should be rejoicing with our brothers and sisters all across this world that are seeing souls saved. How can we be mad at somebody when a soul is saved? When a soul goes from darkness into light, and if that heart, that one who receives Jesus, is truly now beginning to seek the Lord and read his word, then guess what? The Holy Spirit will lead and guide that individual. And if they got saved in a church that's not truly preaching sound doctrine, the Holy Spirit will lead them out. But if all they hear from other believers is rah, 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 punching people in the mouth, that's going to do more harm than good. We are to rejoice when we hear of a soul being saved. I don't care what church it's in. Glory to God. They're saved. We've got to start rejoicing. That's the heart of the Lord. Not Because really when we don't, we're really just mad that they weren't saved in our church. 
with us because we're the holy ones. <laughs> no, he's holy. He's holy, right? So that's what we've got to come to. Lastly, verse 41 says, the one who serves Christ will be re rewarded by Christ. Uh, I'm so thankful right there for whosoever. I'm thankful I'm a whosoever. Whosoever shall give uh, you a cup of water to drink in my name, right? Here we go, saying that because you belong to Christ, serve me, show allegiance to me by serving my servants, will by no means lose his reward. He's saying, I see, the I see and reward the smallest and humblest acts of service done to others in my name. You know, we get it in our minds and we think, oh, it's only the greatest preachers that have the biggest churches that when they get to heaven, they're going to have the biggest mansion. When really, in reality, it's just probably the opposite. The ones who gave their life to missions, the one who gave their lives to street ministry, the one who didn't care about being seen, but cared about making him known. Right? Just be in the hands and feet of Jesus each and every day, everywhere they go, to everyone they come in contact with. That's who the Lord says is going to be rewarded. That's the one who's not going to lose the reward, the one that has the servant's heart, the one that says, I am last, because he's first. That's always our place behind him, to follow him. We're never to lead. We're always to follow and then we turn around and say, follow me, I'm following him. And I'm going to duck down because don't look at me because I'm going to get messed up. Just keep following him, right? That's how we do. And really, they don't stay beside, behind us. Once they come to Christ, they're right here beside us. And we link arms. And now we're following him. He's that big. Every human being in America could link arms. Every human being in this world could link arms. And he's still in view. He's still in sight. We're following him. That's what we've got to get to, church. We've got to come together. We've got to start loving people like never before, hating the sin, but loving the sinner. The word says it's kindness that draws one to repentance, not condemnation, kindness. So here we see the Lord telling us the keys. Wake up. We've got to understand this. Get this. Service to others frees us because we get to take our eyes off of us and we get to put them on others who need the same Christ that we need. I need him more each and every day. What about you? Amen. Tonight we're just going to close in prayer. I know we've gone over a little bit, but I want to encourage you to love others. I want to encourage you at this time especially being in your homes, we can get our eyes on ourselves and what we need, what we're not able to do. But let's get our eyes on the Lord. Let's ask him, Lord, open my eyes to those that are just around me, even if I walk out to check my mail, no matter what it may be, Lord. I want to I serve others because that's what you've called me to do. I want to assume my rightful position, and that's at your feet and nowhere else. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the word that's gone forth tonight. 
I thank you, Lord, for your sweet anointing. And I pray, God, and I know that it's going to continue to go with us, that your word is going to continue to sink deep into our hearts, Lord, and that good fruit is going to be produced, Lord, for your kingdom and your glory. I ask that you continue, Lord, to give us wisdom regarding uh, these next days, these next weeks, Lord. Touch each and every pastor and their family. Encourage them, strengthen them. Touch each and every every uh, member, Lord, right now, God. Be their strength, be their comfort, be their peace, be their rest, Lord, during these trying days. We thank you and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We love you.